0: So we are are starting uh, a new series called Simple, uh, where we are thinking a little bit about what it looks like to live a simple life. And I think that um, it's something that is, I think, in some ways anti to our our culture, but uh, one of the spiritual practices that has gone throughout the ages is the practice of simplicity, that, that Jesus invites us to simplify our lives in certain ways. There's a story that I'm going to go into a little bit more in just a bit. But in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, a man comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And I want us to say to the end of that. I hope that during this series you memorize that this last thought. So let's just say it together. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. One more time. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Because I know for me that I don't necessarily believe Jesus on that. It's kind of like Jesus, I'll let you take the wheel for like an hour a week or something. But when it comes to like accumulating stuff, like yeah I I like stuff. Like I like things. And Jesus says to that crowd and says to us still, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And I think in reality, we just can accumulate more and more. Stuff. So you're probably familiar with the psychoanalysis uh, and the work of Sigmund Freud, um, and he changed the world in a lot of ways. Uh, but one thing that he said, and he's responding somewhat to the enlightenment, the idea that we are all reasonable creatures and reason is like the number one thing and that we just, we think, therefore, uh, we are. And Freud says, yeah, there are moments when we are rational, but if we really think about it, we make irrational decisions all the time. And if you don't think you do, just ask a loved one. Um, that loves you and knows you very well. And so then the idea becomes like, well, how can we manipulate that a little bit? And in World War I and World War II, uh, propaganda was used more than ever, and it was extremely uh, manipulative. And there was a man who was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew named Edward Bernays, who you likely haven't heard of, but he has changed your life because he Like, wrote a book called Propaganda, and he's thinking about not just using these ideas during um, wartime, but what if we could manipulate people during peace? How could we send messages to people to, to make them think in a certain way? And so in a book that he wrote, I'm um, called Propaganda, in 1928, he says this, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested, largely of people we have never even Heard of. And so he writes this book and, and gets these ideas out there, and the um, Americans specifically are, are just drawn to more and more stuff. There was a man who helped to find uh, layman brothers named Paul Mazier. He said, We must shift America to a, from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow needs and this was written in the 1940s and I think things have just kept building on this right and I know that whenever someone says something like this but you're like but no I'm the one I'm the one who sees the matrix like I, I know I've, I've heard all this before Brian I, I'm the one who's able to see past it I don't get uh, manipulated but it just gets more and more sophisticated right uh, i bought, um, before Manny and I went on our trip, I bought some Reese's Puffs for our kids, uh, so they could, like, uh, kind of remember me fondly while I was gone, and they didn't like them for some reason. I know, I know, but they didn't they didn't like Reese's Puffs, and so, I mean, I'm not going to throw them away, so I've been having Reese's Puffs for breakfast for a while, and I was eating um, the Reese's Puffs, and then 15 minutes later, i, I go over to my computer and there was an ad for rhesus puffs on the side. I didn't say rhesus puffs. I didn't talk about the rhesus puffs. I was just kind of like hiding it from everybody that I was eating them because an adult probably shouldn't eat them um, for breakfast. And then 15 minutes later it just pops up. It's like, did it hear me eating? I just don't even understand how it did that. It's just more and more sophisticated. Right? You don't even know how, how is that possible? Where did this come from? Have they bugged my house? And in reality, it just gets more and more sophisticated. So the statistics say that around the time of World War II, the average American home had about 40,000 items in it. And estimates are that the average uh, living space, whatever that happens to be, has around 250,000 items. So people have more and more stuff. The fastest growing industry in the United States is uh, storage units. We could sleep Everybody in our storage units, not people who don't have a home right now. We can sleep everyone in our entire nation in our storage units. And for all this stuff, are we actually happier? And the answer is no. Statistically, happiness continues to go down. There's a sociologist, not a Christian. The sociologist says, upward mobility often ends not in satisfaction and peace, but in exhaustion, disappointment. And emptiness. You just keep getting more and more stuff, and you just end up needing more and more stuff. As notorious BIG would say it, more money, more problems. <laughs> it just is this endless cycle. There's another author who said this, we live in a materialist culture, we want money and possessions. Very few people have heard a powerful voice telling them to resist those impulses or how to resist those impulses. Organized religion, I think this is totally right, has not done a good job of challenging people to examine their lifestyle. I think organized religion hasn't done a good job of helping us think about simplicity a little bit. What does it look like to maybe want less? to live a life that's just not so crowded. I think that the idea of today is basically as long as you're doing it to yourself and and nobody else is with you, and you're not harming anybody, then you can just do whatever you want. That's not always a good idea. And I agree, organized religion hasn't necessarily done a very good job of, of teaching us about this. And there's a book that I'd love for you to read uh, through this series. Sorry, Sam, it's out of order, but it's a little bit back up there. Um, It's a book um, by Richard Foster named um, Freedom of Simplicity. And I would love it if you uh, read this. I'm going to be talking about some ideas from this book, but if you have a chance to to pick it up and read it, as usual, my offer, we could grab lunch or coffee and and talk through uh, some of the ideas. Um, It's just a book that talks about this concept that has been a Christian concept Forever a simpler, more focused life would bring you more joy. Because it's easy, if we live in the rat race of just more and more, it's easy to think contentment is, is just a little bit further out there. And the finish line just keeps getting further and further away. And Amazon just makes it so easy. You don't even have to get your credit card. That, that's, I mean, come on. That's so much work just one click, right? And you're mad if it's not there within like 37 hours. (laughs) That's just how it works. It just keeps becoming more and more. So back to that teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? In the Greek, Jesus actually says, I don't want to in on your family drama. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't actually say that, but he, he, he just, I, I don't, okay, I don't want to get involved in this. This is bad enough for just the family members that are involved. I don't want to get into this mess, and I don't want to like, try to talk this uh, out with you. And then he says, watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And this is a double warning from Jesus. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, like we should take this one really seriously because Jesus says watch out and then be on your guard. Watch out for this. Be on your guard against the way that greed can crop up in in all of our lives. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus begins to tell a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I mean, what a problem to have, right? And what does it say that this bounty comes from? The ground. The ground of a certain rich man yielded this abundant harvest. Oftentimes, when we think about our stuff, or our work. We think that it's somehow owed to us, right? We think that, oh, I worked hard, and I know, like, you work, you know, 60 hours a week. It's hard. Um, you do some, some grunt labor. You work hard, perhaps, for the bosses that you have, and sometimes your bosses are terrible, and sometimes that might mean you need to switch jobs. But, like, when Jesus is helping us to think about whatever it is uh, that we have, he's reminding us from the very beginning that it was the ground that gave that gift to you. And I know that you work hard. Who gave you the chance? It's likely that if you're working full-time today that you you finished high school, that maybe you got a college degree, and someone paid for you to go to school for four years, maybe you're still paying it back a little bit. You are are blessed, even though there are issues with America, it's a place with opportunities. I mean, who chose that You were living here in this time and in this place. And I know some of us are are more blessed than others. I like to say that um, I was born on third base and I try not to think I hit a triple. Like, I I know that. And I know there's different levels in this room, but when it comes to the blessings that we have, do we recognize sometimes that it's not just all our hard work, that there are some systems that we are a part of that are blessing us. I know for me, I I did undergrad for four years, then I went to grad school, so I had seven years of education. You know, what a blessing, right? It's easy to think, I, I work so hard for this, but this from the very beginning reminds us there's a lot of stuff that's outside of your control. There's a lot of stuff that you maybe aren't even aware of. It is helping you to this space. So Jesus tells us this story. He has an abundant, I mean, what should I do? What a problem to have. I just have so much stuff. I have no place to store it all. And it continues. He says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take, life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This is this guy just talking about himself, and what we can miss a little bit is it's just like my, me, and I. It's like over, it's like, oh, what will I do Like with all my stuff and all my, he's, he's so focused on himself. And then he comes up with this plan and Jesus gives this warning this very night. Your life's going to be demanded from you. Then will you get what you've prepared, all this stuff you've stored up? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, who is not rich towards God. Jesus says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because it's subtle. And it starts with you know, just, just one step in a certain direction and you end up in a place that you wouldn't have intended. How in your life, and this is something you can just ask yourself, how, how am I practicing richness towards God? How am I entering into a story that's bigger than myself? Because this guy, he just said, let me tell you all about all my plans and all this stuff. And it's easy for us to to look at at somebody or to look at somebody who has way more than us and think, oh, they're so greedy, but it's important for us all to examine our hearts. Scholars say that, that Jesus talks about money or possessions a quarter of the time. So one out of every four verses where Jesus is talking, he's talking about money and stuff. And I know when churches talk about that, I can be like, yeah, but th- there's been abuse of that. 100%, I agree with you. But it's interesting to think about how Jesus, like he, he consistently teaches. One out of every four verses is Jesus saying to you know, watch out for this. And Jesus doesn't end one of his teachings like this one with, all right, guys, pass the plate. All right now that I've got you thinking about this, we're gonna like, there's a new fundraising campaign. Uh, please make your check out to Jesus Ministries. Um, it's a 501c3. Uh, you'll get a tax deduction at the end of the season. Now, Jesus isn't doing it to raise money for something like in that time and in that space. Though so, there are some people, there's some women actually that are mentioned. They're like funding Jesus's ministry. So uh, Jesus had some ladies running the show uh, behind the scenes. Uh, but like when he, he talks about it, because he wants our money and our stuff not to have us. Not because he wants our money or our stuff. Because he doesn't conclude by saying, no, please um, donate $19.99 a year and like you'll continue to hear these great teachings from me. Like he, he doesn't do it. He does it because he knows that there's a spiritual force behind stuff. Everyone who I have ever I've been in contact with who goes and, and spends time in parts of the world that are, you know, third world countries, countries that, that are struggling, consistently everyone comes back and say, there's just a joy there. There's a simplicity about like, the, the way that people just enjoy things, and they don't, they, don't, they don't have all the toys, they don't have all the stuff, but there's just a joy that comes. And Jesus says, yeah, there's a, a way of living that's deeper than just getting more and more stuff. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And that's a bit odd to me because I think I would say you can't serve both God and Satan or you can't serve both God and like evil things in the world. But Jesus says this is going to be in competition for your heart. So I'm going to have to consistently teach you about it over and over again. And what Jesus is inviting us into isn't a worse life. It's a better life. It's a life that constantly doesn't have, like, a, the finish line just a little bit further out. And can we trust Jesus on this? That life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. There was a, a Christian virtue that was developed early on called frugality. And now frugality seems like a like kind of less mean way of calling someone cheap, um, but it actually was a, a virtue back in the day, and it comes from the Latin word frux, which means fruit. So this idea, this Christian virtue and practice, is about like, okay, what fruit is being produced in my life? Is the way that I'm choosing to to spend my money is the way that I'm, I'm, I'm like holding on to this stuff? Is is it producing good fruit in my life? I think we could all ask ourselves questions of that, including me. Like, Is, is this producing good fruit? Is this, is this helping me as I, you know, try to become a better person in the world? Because life isn't found in the abundance of stuff, but real life is, is found in connection and living for others. In that book, which I recommended, Richard Foster, he just... just defines simplicity as this. It's an inward reality of single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness in which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. It's an inward reality that says, I, I'm literally, you know, I'm, I'm putting God, I'm putting the teachings of Jesus first in my life. And I imagine if you're listening online or if you're with us this morning, that um, you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not, I'm so glad that you're here and you're kind of off the hook on this one, so congratulations. But what would change about your life if Jesus was actually the center of it? What would you do differently? And you and I, like we might have said before coming in here, Jesus is the center. Okay, but then what does that look like? What does it look like for you to put these followings of teach, of Jesus, the, the, the teaching, what does it look like for you to really put this on to say, yeah, I, I'm living in this certain way because of who Jesus is? As I mentioned, Amanda and I got a, a chance to travel for a couple weeks, and um, we had, had a really wonderful time, but one small snafu happened. We had done a bunch of our laundry, and um, we had a few items that we didn't put through the laundry. When you're traveling, like backpacking, you don't really have a whole lot of clothes, so you're just trying to pick and choose. And so we were um, traveling from one place to another, and we realized that our bag, which had probably like eight or nine of my things, um, was lost. We don't remember who, who did it, but we, we lost it. And um, just wanted to let you guys know that because a couple of my polos were in there. Here's one of them um, that was in there. Uh, there should be a picture, right? Yeah, there we go. There's one of them. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my good friend. Like I think, who knows, who knows where that is? I tried to find a picture of the other one t- too, but I couldn't find it. But just in case some of you are wondering, some of you do ask me about my wardrobe from time to time. Just FYI, uh, that one was lost. Uh, I love, I love the idea of uh, because. Generally, Europeans are more fashionable than Americans, and I'm one of the least fashionable Americans. So I love the idea of some European opening that bag and be like, "This all needs to be immediately burned." <laughs> uh, basically, there, there is, there's nothing else uh, to do. And it was just one of those things that, that happens. And I mean, that really was one of the bigger, like, small problems that we had on the trip. So it was, it was great. But I remember thinking, like, "Oh, I guess you know, I'll have to buy a couple more polos when I get back into town uh, because I, I lost." Two of them, two of my, my starting polos. <laughs> and, and I came home, and I still have six polos in my closet. And it was just one of those moments where it's like, do I really need eight? Life doesn't consist in the abundance of polos. <laughs> or in the abundance of anything. When I think about like how, how my, my knee-jerk response to that, you know, very small issue, but my knee-jerk response was, I'll, you know, I'll just I'll have to buy more, and that's where I think the problem is, because most of our lives, if if we don't allow ourselves to really think about it, like our our problems are generally solved with like pulling out a card, you know. It's not cash anymore. But I got a problem. Okay, I just I'll just pay for it. And subtly, I think you can start to believe that real life is found there. So I challenge for you during this series, and we're going to talk about some different ideas and concepts around simplicity, but I just want you to simplify your life in in some way. One of my friends in ministry, uh, he actually, uh, once a year, uh, he puts... All the clothes in his closet, he hangs like turns the hangers around a certain way, and then after two months, whatever like hasn't been turned around, so he hasn't worn it, he donates and just gives away. So that could be an idea that you do. Maybe just deleting an app on your phone because you probably don't need to be that connected to whatever that thing is, or maybe it's to fast from food for know, a meal or two a week and just say, I, I want to, like, recognize Jesus says after he's spent time, I love the Gospel of Luke, it says after Jesus spends his time fasting in the desert, it says, and he was hungry. And it's like, yeah, of course he was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus' response is that we don't live on bread alone. And I think in reality, like, we, we kind of do. We've we've had enough bread in our lives than most of us, and it's easy for us to start to think that that is kinda of what we're living for. So my challenge for you is just to think of, of some practical way that you can simplify your life. And we're gonna to continue to talk about some different ideas. But I hope that for all of us, uh, we will just ask that hard question of ourselves. You know, what would change if I, if I truly like, allowed Jesus to be the King and the Lord of my life? And how might I have different priorities because of who Jesus is. So we're going to sing another song now, but uh, as we begin, I'd just like you to think about this. Maybe have coffee with a friend and talk it over. What, what, what's an area of your life that you need to simplify? Because I love the name of that, that book, that it's the freedom of simplicity, that, that there's a freedom there. Because it's so easy just get caught up in these different things and to not truly be living with a single-hearted focus on God. Let's pray. God, I I pray over all of us as we think about how, how we may simplify our lives and as we think about how we might Just allow you to lead us in some things that we need to walk away from. Father, we sang earlier about clean hands and pure hearts. Give us your wisdom to see some areas in our lives where we need some simplicity. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of stuff. And we know that. But help us to rethink about this and and reconsider where you're calling us to make a change. Your son, Jesus, I pray, amen.